The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Dee, thank you. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Great to have you with us on this big day in the markets, the Fed decision less than two hours from now. Of course, that's front and center for us. Joining me for the hour today, the Investment Committee, Amy Raskin, Jim Labenthal, Joe Terranova, Pete Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Of course, our senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman, with us today, too. It's great to have you here. Let's check the markets. It's 12 noon in the east. Stocks are up for a third day. Dow's good for 388. That's better than 1%. NASDAQ having a big day today. That's nearly a 3% gain, 2 and 3 quarters, 354. Big eye on yields today. The 10-year note yield 216, and we'll keep our eyes peeled there. The conversation, though, all of this, of course, happening, Pete, as we are trying to decide whether the market has hit a bottom, come close to a bottom, given us a place to start trading stocks and buying stocks again. What do you think here? I would put us somewhere in that close to bottom. I don't know that we've bottomed completely, Scott, and I don't think any of us do. I know that, that, that we're all talking about it and looking at it, but each and every day is different. We know that. I mean, just look at yesterday and that big turnaround and how much traded in the final 90 minutes of the day to actually propel it up to where we closed in the Dow up 600. But we actually added, you know, hundreds to the Dow in that last 90 minutes. Same thing with the Nasdaq. So, you know, it's an interesting market. It's fun to kick that whole idea around. Have we bottomed? I will say this. The volatility index does tell us a lot. And just a little over a week ago, we were at 37. Here we are today now trading at 27. And those volumes that we talk about all the time, Scott, they continue to be there, although a little bit lighter yesterday. So it's, it's kind of interesting for me when we get these lighter moves to the upside in terms of volume, and yet we're up 600 points on the Dow, and we're flying on the NASDAQ, and things are moving at the, at the rate in which they are, 2%. Two and a half percent, three percent. You know, when we start to slow down on that volume, that's a little bit concerning. We want to see high volume on those days, like we see a lot of the time on those days where we're pushing to the downside. So we haven't seen that yet. That's why I'm still kind yes, of, I, lost, I, I would say, I uh, com- I'm comfortable, but I'm, I'm also uh, interested in where we are next. Okay, so Farmer Jim, um, I gave you a lot of stuff earlier in the week. We're a family show, so I can't really use the word that I wanted to use, but everybody knows exactly what word I'm trying to uh, channel here. When you said you were back to all in, and um, maybe that turns out to be a good call. Um, You know, you and I have danced on this question of whether the bottom is in for several weeks. It's factual right now to say that the low was February 24th. And I feel comfortable, not necessarily that the bottom is in. I know you hate wishy-washy answers, but I do feel very comfortable that this has been and is now a good time to buy. Bottoming is a process is all I'm saying. Now, I already told you, Scott, I think the bottom's in, so I'm not walking back from that. But what I am saying is it takes time. That's what Pete's saying. That's what other people like Liz has been, uh, Liz Young has been saying. 
Um, it takes time. And the important thing is to look forward three months. Three months from now, we're likely to be well downstream of the Fed's cadence, which starts today. We're likely to be well downstream of an equilibrium in Ukraine. That's what I've been saying all along. So whether it was the last three weeks or the next three weeks, this is a period of time to look past the negative news Past the negative news, you've got a really strong economy. Scott, I told you this on, on the show on Overtime last night. Uh, you've got jobs. You've got factories being built. You've got airlines at capacity. Things look really good in the economy. Don't look past that. All right. So, Steve Leisman, I mean, yeah, they, they do look good. Are they going to look as good, though, once the Fed starts to embark on this new regime, which begins in less than two hours from now? And that's the critical question. So I think it's important to understand, Scott, that the Fed has already embarked on this uh, uh, regime or whatever you want to call it, this rate hike cycle. It it did that back in November, on November 29th, when Powell did what you could call his hard pivot. In a funny way, Scott, we're already, if you call this thing a marathon, we may be five or six miles into this already. What we're doing today is we're kind of logging the lap today. This quarter point is built in. Mm -hmm. The next quarter point is built in. The quarter point after that is built in. This market, this economy has been trading at this point with 135 basis points of additional tightening on it already and 15 or 20 percent, whatever market you want to look at, less in the way of financial conditions from the stock market. The restraint is already in place. The question for today, Scott, is not does it do a quarter. That one is already logged in. And it's not even for May does it do a quarter. There's two questions. Does Powell believe that the way the market is priced in the future is enough to handle the inflation problem that he has coming. I suspect today he does. I don't know if that's going to be true a month or two down the road. But the whole question is this game of Powell coaxing the market to do its bidding for it. It has done so. And I go into the meeting today wondering, does Powell feel like, given his inflation problem and the inflation problem that's coming from Ukraine, does Powell feel it's enough? Steve, well, we got six hikes now now being priced in because the, you know, the, the market now may be there it is. There, there's six six priced in for, for this year. Yeah. Now, I wonder now, given the environment that we're in, whether the market's ahead of itself on, on all of this. We did a Twitter poll yesterday in OT and. The winner was like four hikes. Mark Lazary was with us yesterday. He doesn't see anything close to, to six. And what was, I don't know, seemingly a formality almost feels like we've dialed expectations back a bunch. Um, you know, I think I feel really good about the first four there. And, and if you look at the probabilities, the market feels really good about the first four there. Um, and I think getting up to one percent and change and looking around is probably a thing that Powell's going to do. And I think it really relates back to the war and sentiment. If you see what's happened to consumer sentiment, it's cratered. Um, you also are going to have a negative growth effect and a disinflationary effect from the surge in oil prices and commodities. That's going to be a tax on individual households. So far, Scott, you have not seen much reaction yet in consumer spending from higher prices. It is rather remarkable to talk to company executives and say, hey, we kept passing the prices, we keep passing the prices along and they keep paying them. We haven't seen any demand destruction at this point. If that starts to happen, if the economy starts to weaken, if job openings start to decline, if job growth starts to decline, Mm -hmm. um, I think that Powell might slow things up. The first four are good. 
The other two or three, it's a question mark. Well, I just wonder, Joe, if then the risk for stocks is to the upside, because if you're not going to get the six that are already priced in, the market's going to deem that as a good thing. And then stocks are going to go up because Powell's going to be more dovish down the road than maybe some expected he'd be a month ago. I think that the, the risk is certainly to the upside. It's been to the upside for the better part of the last several weeks. Uh, from a sentiment perspective, we're as pessimistic as we possibly could be. Uh, the resolution potentially between Russia and Ukraine, and as you mentioned, a Federal Reserve that appears to be more dovish than is being uh, priced in for the market, I think uh, clearly, uh, you know, that invokes the upside more than anything else. But I, Scott, I just think you look forward over the next 12 months, if you're a buyer here today, over the next 12 months, the historical statistics, whether it's a midterm election cycle coming in or out of recession or studying presidential cycles, you're going to see a market that's higher 12 months from today than it is right now. The question is, how do you resolve this kind of malaise and hypervolatility that we're experiencing I mean, in the near term? Amy, I've got valuations. Like you've been more negative than most people have come on this show in the, in the last couple yeah. of months, right? But valuations yeah. have reset a, a fair amount as we've digested what's coming down the pike from the Fed. S&P 500 forward PEs down to 19 from 22. That was in the end of December of last year. The Nasdaq PE has fallen to 26 from, from 32. The obvious question is, have we reset enough into what we think the new environment is going to be if earnings are going to slow from where we are today? And there's a good debate to be had as to whether they actually are. The bears would suggest they've got a long way to still reset. That's the Mike Wilson view. Others would suggest that earnings are still going to hold up better than people think. I think they're still, I, I, I want to say the bottom's in, but I don't think it is. And I think the um, implication when people are saying the bottom's in is that we're going back to the old market that's been you know, this deflationary environment that's been very good for tech with low interest rates. I just don't see that as the, our base case. So, um, you know, I think it's more it's as important to know if the bottom's in, which, again, I, I don't think it is. And I'll, and I'll come back to that because valuations are better, but they're not particularly compelling. This is not March 2020 when valuation spreads were four and a half times um, the sta four and a half standard deviations above the mean. We're about a quarter a standard deviation above the mean right now. So valuations are fine, but they're not particularly compelling. After a 30% rise in the market last year, 20% the year before, and 30% the year before that, we're down 10%. It doesn't feel particularly capitulative to me at this point. Um, you know, I remember we were using 2,700 as a buy for the S&P in March 2020. We're still at 4,300. You know, the market is still expensive. Um, it's, you know, it's saying that we can overshoot, we can, it can go down more. And then what's equally as important is to figure out where you want to be on the other side. And I don't think it's going to be technology growth stocks, um, which I think is sort of implied when people are sort of saying the bottom's in. Well, we're going to get to that certainly in a second. The, look, we came to grips, or at least we we're trying to, Steve, with the idea that the Fed put is dead. And that was what, after his appearance, I think, uh, on the Hill or, or whenever that was in the, in the last few months, it was certainly an idea that that was done. Tom Lee has a new note today, and I'd like your opinion on it. 
the Fed put, arguably, he says, is closer to a 10 percent drawdown in stocks. So right now, what might be dead <coughs> might not be if the stock market has another 10 percent decline on the S&P, because then you get a much bigger hit to the wealth effect and, you know, things that more dramatically <coughs> impact the economy. Will you buy that or not? I don't, because I don't think it really matters that much to the Fed how much we go down as much as how we get there. Um, a big gap, a situation. Uh, I don't think Powell cares that your next trade is lower than the one before it. I think Powell cares that you can make that trade. I think that there's liquidity in the market, mm. that we don't have a big gap. It may be a situation where Powell feels... I want to go back to a question you asked, Joe, which I thought was fascinating. You said... If the Fed is doing less, isn't that good for stocks? And I think that's true, but I only think the reason the Fed does less is because the economy is doing worse. And I think that's really important, that when you ask that question, Scott, you layer in that other aspect to it, that uh, the consumer's not spending as much, job growth is, is, is faltering. All those things would be the situation that would bring the Fed around that now. I have to layer in another possibility on there. If you read Larry Summers in the Washington oh, Post I, last I night. I did, I did, and I was going to bring it up. I was going to bring it up. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. Should, because should I, I wait? Tweet about should I wait? It. Just bring it up now. Because, I mean, he goes right after the Fed. Not that it's a big shock, but exactly. he, goes, he goes after him. Go ahead. I should have known that you would have been prepared for that, Scott, because you're always prepared. Um, I'll let you read it, Scott, because I think you do a better Larry Summers voice than I do. <laughs> All right. So we're looking at the headline. The Fed is charting a course to stagflation and recession. Quote, I believe the Fed has not internalized the magnitude of its errors over the past year, said Summers, is operating with an inappropriate and dangerous framework and needs to take far stronger action to support price stability than appears likely. So he uses the word dangerous, too. I think it was Elizabeth Warren who called Fed Chair Powell yeah, a Warren, dangerous man Powell, right? back in the day uh, as well. So he's channeling. A so, little uh, Senator Warren there. But what do you make of that? I mean, that's pretty harsh La criticism. Larry, you know, yeah, L Larry, Larry did really well in college in economics and in math. Uh, I think he, he skipped finishing class or he failed finishing class. Um, Ouch. But look, he, what, he's going, <laughs> what, what he's going after here is a fascinating argument, right? Which is what is the Fed's theory of the case of bringing down inflation? Can this idea of quarter point rate hikes doled out in a, a, a meeting by meeting, can it do the job of bringing down the inflation we have now, along with some help from supply bottlenecks, people coming back to work? Can all that create the, the inflationary environment that the Fed seeks? Larry mm -hmm. says no. And his concern here, and I think it's a very legitimate one, I've been listening to him for 30 years, actually, uh, is this idea that the Fed may have to hike rates above neutral may have to slow the economy down and otherwise create a recession in this country in order to get inflation under control. What's interesting about that is Powell pledged that he would do that if he had to at the last hearing. Well, he, he has to slow the economy mm -hmm. down. Isn't that we know that already, right? Yeah. It's to the degree yeah, at which he does and whether he's able to thread the needle and slow it without killing it. Scott, I think before you were a father, you were probably a much faster driver. And I think, you know, there are different ways to slam on the brakes, right? You can tap those brakes and come to a nice gentle stop 
Well, you can slam those brakes, and the Fed can slam the brakes. The Fed is trying to slow the economy down gently, remove stimulus, but you know there's another way to do it, and, and that's a much more jolting kind of stop. I apologize to my kids. I mean, you haven't seen me on Route 80 on the way to CNBC headquarters when I'm driving in the morning <laughs> trying to get here. I had a lot of preparation to do. Uh, Jim Lamenthal, you want in? Yeah, um, sort of a, a two-part question statement here is that, okay, w- the recession, I've already said, number one, I just don't buy it, okay? Not with the airlines announcing yesterday, yesterday, okay, three weeks into Ukraine, that they are packed. Um, not with Uber pre-announcing positively. People are getting out. But, but let's dance, Steve with this mid-cycle slowdown, which is what you may get, right? Maybe you were going to get it before Ukraine anyway, mid-cycle slowdown in 2023. You know what's weird and you know what's different is that earnings estimates are still going up for 2023. And I'm looking right now, as I'm looking in the camera, I'm also looking at Edyard Denny's chart, March 3rd to March 10th. March 10th was after we announced the ban on Russian oil. From March 3rd to March 10th, estimates on the S&P 500 earnings went up. Okay, that flies in the face of the mid-cycle slowdown. Or if there is a mid-cycle slowdown, that may be. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Well, okay, okay, sure. I I mean, mean, maybe we can stand on our heads and, and. Hey, look at it. It's the estimates, Scott. What do you want me to do? You want me to make up numbers? I'm not going to make up numbers. This is what well, the man, estimates how are. Many people if have they're come out delusional, taken, they're delusional. Well, how many people have come out already and taken down their estimates on earnings and the S&P 500 price target for this year? Then numbers are meaningless. Who cares? Who? Who? No, they're not meaningless. And who cares if, you know, if Costin lowers his number Twice. or even Ed lowers his number... Okay, but then he's got it going up in 2023. Isn't that what matters? Isn't the fact that earnings are still growing 2023 over 2022 and being revised up March 3rd to March 10th? I mean, if you listen, if I told you that I thought the numbers you were using were delusional, you'd cut my mic. What sort of comment is that? Here's the point for the stock market. Earnings are the lifeblood. (laughs) Earnings are the lifeblood. Don't tempt me. <laughs> Look, Jim, Scott. <clears throat> go ahead, Steve. I was just going to say very quickly, Jim, I think that's a, that's a very good argument. I, I also think those estimates matter because they tell us what we think today about the future, and that's exactly where the market's priced. So that's why those estimates, even if they're all dead wrong, are important because they help us price the, 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 the present. But the point is this. You can have rising earnings, but what do you do with the multiple if the Fed is doing more than you expected? That's where you get hit on that on that outlook. Look, I want to I want to continue. I want to continue. I'm going to move. Sorry, Jim. I'm going to move. I want to continue the conversation on this idea of whether we've bottomed or not, whether, you know, what Brad Gerstner told me the other day, this idea of we're we're close to a tradable bottom. What Scott Minard surprised me, as I've said on the air a couple of times to this point, surprised me with his more optimistic view about where stocks can go from here, that rates have topped two, two and a quarter percent on the 10 year seemed like the range to him, that we were at a point where valuations had come down enough where you're a three to five year investor, that especially in technology, there were some good buys. He mentioned PayPal and Box Square, whatever you want to call it, which, by the way, he owns. Pete, that, that just brings me to you. Because I see a move that you're making here on a relevant stock from the Gerstner conversation, and it's Snowflake. You bought Snowflake calls, okay? It's interesting to me on a number of levels. That stock, by the way, speaking of bottoms, has jumped 13.5% from Monday's close. 
from Monday's close. Right. Now, Brad Gerstner was optimistic about it and talked as such in OT. But a lot of those other stocks have bounced a lot, too. Unity, 16 percent since Monday. Twilio, 13 percent since Monday. Pete? Yeah, there's a lot of those names that are jumping, Scott. And uh, quite honestly, it's it's pretty interesting. Now, I, as I said before, I'll say it again. I would not buy these stocks, especially not right now, even though you're coming off of the lows. But I'll trade them. I'll trade the calls because that gives me that leverage that I want to have without as much exposure. So what do I mean by that? Well, today we had the March 200 calls in Snowflake being bought. Stock at the time was trading 181. So those were going for a little over a dollar, Scott. They started at 50 cents. They went to a dollar. Those went to $5 today. Already today, they went from a dollar to $5. Stock went all the way up to 197, pulled back. I think right now it's right around 189, something close to that level. So that just shows you that you've got to be incredibly disciplined. I was not. I do own these calls, but I have not sold them. I have not trimmed them. That was a mistake on my fault because I was preparing to be on with you guys on the show. But that being said... I think, you, I think you can trade these, these, these names, but, again, you don't want to be in these stocks because they can be a widowmaker in just days or weeks. I mean, it's just amazing how fast that they can move to the downside, just like we're seeing this big move to the upside today. So that's why I say that. We're talking about those high P.E., no P.E. names, and I think you've got to be very careful. As I came on last yesterday with you on overtime, I was talking about that ARK FinTech puts being bought yesterday. Mm -hmm. Those are in my face today. But that's okay. I don't care about today. I care about the next couple of days, week, because everything we're talking about here, Scott, is extremely short term. Nobody is willing to go out past April 1st right now with a lot of the option trades that we are seeing. So always be aware of that. People aren't saying, hey, look, if they thought it was the bottom, they'd be going further out in time, being much more comfortable about what they're buying, and they'd be buying something a lot closer well, to where those stocks are I trading mean, as opposed to something. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, I hear you, but it's like, okay, uh, everybody wants to put their toe in the water before they do a cannonball, right? I mean, you've you got to <laughs> figure out the, what the water's like before you fully get in there. So those kind of trades make sense to me. But, Amy, what about some of these other names? It's a Twilio down 66% from its 52-week high. There's a whole group of these stocks. Spotify crushed. Roku crushed. DraftKings, Teladoc. I don't even want to mention one of these others. Coinbase, 60. Unity, 59. I mean, at some point, they're going to be buys, no? I mean, and maybe that point is, is close, if not here. At, at some, well, at some point, probably hmm. some of them are going to be buys. I'm not sure all of them are going to be buys. Um, look, these things, we were in a very deflationary environment with very low interest rates, which made, you know, growth stocks, um, which made people pay up for growth stocks and with earnings very far out. And I think we're just in a very different environment. And I think we will be, I think, implicit in buying those stocks right now. You have to think Larry Summers is very wrong. You have to think that inflation is just going to reverse and the Fed's not going to have to do much and that the put is still there. And I think all of those assumptions all go together. And if you believe that, you should be buying growth stocks. Um, that's just not where we are right now. So um, we do own some growth stocks that, you know, high multiple growth stocks that we think are long-term win winners and we're willing to ride it out and hold those in our portfolio. But it's a managed portion of the portfolio and I keep a very tight watch on it because I just don't think this is the environment for them. Joe. In the next... Until, until inflation's under control. Joe, is, is which, Jay Powell going to give you a reason to buy the financials today, or is he going to pull the rug out from under those who believe now's the time? 
Well, if he attempts to pull the rug out uh, from those that want to buy them, it's an opportunity. Uh, Jay Powell has an inflation problem. Uh, Amy just very clearly stated why exactly growth stocks will be challenged as we move forward. I want you to think for a second. You mentioned the wealth effect before, Scott. What's also part of the wealth effect? Real estate and shelter and the critical contribution that shelter is in inflation. Scott, has the real estate market cracked? Has the real estate market corrected? Or do we still have the hottest real estate market in the last 15 years? So that tells me we have to cool the economy a little bit more than the chairman might expect. That means rates are going higher. And yes, without question, while we have that strong real estate market, I want to own financials. I've been saying that for the better part of the last six months, and I think that's the right place to continue being. Steve, do you think that people are kidding themselves when, and look, the commentary lately has picked up into thinking that maybe you're going to get a less aggressive Fed than we once were going to get, you know, for obvious reasons. The situation over in in Ukraine is is having its its own impact and, you know, supply chains, inflation and and, and all sorts of other issues that that we care so deeply about. Um, how is that all going to factor in? And I'm just wondering if people are kidding themselves in thinking that you're going to get a less aggressive Fed somehow when Jay Powell has made it painfully clear to you that they need to get ahead of this inflation problem, which even though you got a little bit better than expected PPI this week, is still bad. In the core, yeah. Um, look, I think in order to do the job that the people on this uh, panel do, even the job that I do, you got to get up in the morning and kid yourself a little bit, no matter what. Um, but here's the thing. I, I think to me, the risk is to the upside of the Fed doing more. Maybe it does more a little bit later now because of the war. Um, but I think to me, the risk is to the upside that the Fed needs to clamp a little bit harder down on this economy. And Joe was very smart right there, pointing out that, you know, you may not get much of a reaction in the housing market until you have mortgage rates substantially higher. You may not get any reaction at all in the in the in the auto market because we're four million uh, units below where we should be. So uh, the Fed may have a, may have a bit of trouble getting traction into the real economy with these high rates. The other question I have, Scott, and it's an interesting one, the way you put it about kidding yourselves, there's still substantial headline risk from this war. Russia is operating right on the border of NATO right now. Uh, you look, you can't get up in the morning and think that there's going to be some kind of conflict. But there is certainly still headline risk from this war that I would say, you know, an all clear signal would be premature. Can I ask you a quick question before we go? If, if the war let's just for argument's sake, if the war wasn't happening, would we get 50 today? Yeah, I think you get 50 and I think you may yet get 50 when when Powell is more secure that the knock on effects from the war are, are, you know, not going to be the worst possible outcome, he may yet be emboldened, his committee may embolden him to do a 50 down the road in the next couple months. I don't think that's out of the question, especially if inflation, remember, you might print a double digit CPI for the month of March. You may be real close to that. Um, so that's going to be a problem. Well, look, I mean, Jeffrey Gundlach's been talking about 10 percent inflation, uh, which, by the way, he's going to join me today exclusively yeah. in overtime to react in real to time. Me, too. We just don't hear from him in that kind of time frame right after the meeting, right after the chair speaks. Jeffrey Gunlock will join me for his instant 
reaction and actionable analysis as well, which I can't wait for. I hope you'll join me for that. Steve, thanks so much. We'll see you later this afternoon. We've got to talk Pleasure. China Internet stocks coming up. They are soaring. And if you listen to Kevin O'Leary on halftime on Monday, you would be up big. Mr. Wonderful joins us next to tell us what he's doing from here. And I mean those stocks right there like that are soaring. We're back in two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. I'm Christina Partsnevelis, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell saying that the U.S. isn't doing enough to help Ukraine, and President Biden needs to step up. McConnell adding that the president should use the allocated Ukraine assistance to expand military aid, but adding that the U.S. shouldn't send troops to Ukraine or implement a no-fly zone. The U.S. Departments of Treasury and Justice launching a new task force in partnership with Canada, Australia and allies in Europe aimed to collect and share information on Russian oligarchs. Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen saying the effort will further raise the cost of Putin's war on Russia's richest and most powerful. A head-on collision in West Texas killing nine, including six students and a coach from a New Mexico university who were returning home from a golf tournament, according to the Texas Department of Public Safety. A pickup truck crossed the center line and collided with the van on Tuesday night. And a powerful earthquake with a magnitude of 7.3 hitting northern Japan off the coast of Fukushima, triggering a tsunami advisory. The quake also shaking buildings in central Tokyo, with witnesses reporting power outages in the city. Scott, back over to you. Christine, appreciate that very much. Thank you. Let's talk about China stocks. Man, they're soaring today. And Kevin O'Leary joins us now, who was buying on Monday, took some heat for that. And now look at that big old smile on his face. He's Mr. Happy, not Mr. Wonderful. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, the underlying thing, Judge, about these stocks is when, when, when everybody in the market hates them and you start getting analysts calling them uninvestable, you have to tiptoe into the tulips because the, the fundamental reason for owning these is exposure to the Chinese economy and the consumer. The growth rates inherent in these names are 20, 30, 40, 50 
55% annual growth. You can't get that anywhere else. Now, yeah, there's policy issues. Yes, there's the concern about ADRs and all of that. But how else do you get exposure in your portfolio to growth like this? You have to hold your nose on the volatility, but the fundamentals are why you invest. And you pick your opportunities when you get people slashing. them. They went on sales 7 to 9% on Monday. And look at the upside. I mean, look, yes, it's volatility, but this is a time to actually start to own China again. But what do you do with these, though? I mean, you're sitting literally in a couple of days on almost 30 percent gains and in some cases, perhaps even more than that. I mean, you're a prudent guy. You're not just going to sit here forever, perhaps. What do you do? Well, some of them have passed their 5 percent limit mandate. So I've trimmed those already. I can't own more than 5 percent in my mandate in any one name. And you're right. They've had extraordinary moves. But I'm, I'm keeping them at a full waiting right now because I don't have other opportunities with growth like this. And so you have to be able to say, OK, I'm going to take a portfolio approach with diversity. I'm going to go in with some rules in place, no more than 5% weighting. So I don't not let these stocks kill me on another downturn. But I'll stop owning these when they stop growing. And I don't see that happening for a long time. So I'm in. But I mean, look, let's be honest. And I know I raised this with, with you the other day. Of course, they're growing. But the issues that were on the table because of the regulatory issues were real. They haven't gone away by any stretch. There's a positive headline that has driven these stocks up the, the magnitude of which we, we see today. But the risk is still there. Yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. But the question is, how much risk are you willing to take for how much growth? That's when right. You show me a name that's growing at 45 percent. I can't find anything like that stateside. And also, these balance sheets are huge. These are mega, mega, mega cap stocks. They're massive. You can't get that in the fangs anymore. We're just not growing the fangs that fast. You have to be a decade ago or even more. So you're now getting a chance to buy Amazon essentially 17 years ago. Why wouldn't you do that? Just because it's got a bad zip code, it's in China. There's a lot of people there and they're going to want goods and services. I got to be exposed. I got to have some exposure to that. And I get a lot of flack for it. I got to tell you, hey. it's, it's hate mail left Far and right. Farmer Jim. Farmer Jim said he wouldn't even he wouldn't drive his tractor anywhere near you on this kind of trade. Jim, I think Farmer Jim wants to be on my tractor today. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, I've got listen listen the judge gave me a lesson today and how to be gracious and i have to tip my hat to you kevin well done seriously you were right i was wrong but you don't know this i'm subbing for steve weiss today so i've got to channel steve and i've got to say you should be thanking me because had i not been so vociferous talking against it you wouldn't be right the very next day so you actually owe me some gratitude well, I, listen, I, I think we're all investors. We get it right sometimes. We get it wrong sometimes. And Weiss is all over me like a dirty shirt on texting. Believe me. So, look, I love, I love Steve. But look, you, uh, very I, well I done. Very well done. Thank you. Thank Jim, you. Jim has, Jim has learned well. Uh, Kevin, I appreciate you coming on. We reached out to you last minute, uh, and I'm glad you were able to make it because this was a great call that you made. And we'll see if it lasts. I mean, look, the jury's out. We'll see. But anyway, it's good to see you and your smiling face today. That's Kevin O'Leary. Uh, Pete, you're also seeing some bullish activity yeah. in a number of these names. Tell me. Yeah, one of them is in Baba. Uh, as a matter of fact, that activity started today with the stock trading around 94. We had a very large buyer. As a matter of fact, 13,000 of the March 25th. So not this Friday, but the following Friday. 
They're buying the calls at the 100 strike, Scott, and they, they were paying about $1.50 for those calls at the time. So that stood out for me. I did jump on that. But I will say this just really quickly. When you look at these Chinese names, before we get all too excited, and I know it's a big move today, but before we get too excited, these have returned to where they were one week ago. So mm-hmm. let's remember that. Whether you're looking at ETFs, FXI, KWeb, Baba, you name it, they have all returned from about a week ago or so, all of which are down significantly on the year. And I would, I would say this. I wouldn't touch any of these if I didn't have the options, the derivatives world to do it. Because, Scott, the regulatory risk is absolutely something that could be uh, absolutely course. decimate you. I mean, that, that's the problem. So if you have the option, at least you know the most I can lose is X. As opposed to if you're in these stocks or you're buying these ETFs outright, that, I think, is putting yourself at a lot of risk. And I know Jim would agree with me on that one as well. But that being said, we had huge buyers in KWeb three days in a row, Monday, Tuesday, and today. We had the FXI. They were buying last week. They're buying today. So a lot of huge option paper in these names. And I'm willing to be in the options. I'm in FXI, not in KWeb, but I'm also in BABA. So I've got exposure, but I know exactly what I can lose at the end of the day. So I feel much more comfortable from that perspective right now. Not dissimilar to how you feel about Snowflake and some of those other stocks. I think it's an obvious similar sort of perspective that you bring to that. Coming up, shares of Starbucks having one of the best days in years. That after CEO Kevin Johnson announces his retirement. The debate and the trade from the committee is coming up next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Big news out of Starbucks today. Shares are up 6% as Kevin Johnson, the CEO, says he's retiring. Founder Howard Schultz is returning as interim CEO. Shares are on pace for their biggest daily gain since April 2020. All right. So, Joe, you used to own it. You sold it late November and you don't want any part of it here. Not right here, no. I think uh, what people are doing today is they're, they're basically buying Howard Schultz. They're, they're not buying Starbucks. They'd be buying Howard Schultz. No, six months from now, you're going to have a new CEO. Um, we, we well know that there's uh, rising cost issues that Starbucks has to navigate through. There have union issues with uh, U.S. Board 
uh, labor board challenges. And overall, the climate in China right now is one that's not very favorable. So, you know, on Monday, the stock was trading below 79. I think it can make a return to the lower 80s. Maybe you've found stability there on this announcement and the presence of Howard Schultz. Uh, but I think the recapture period for Starbucks is going to be a little bit longer um, than would incentivize me to buy it right here. Jim, you sold it about six weeks ago. Yeah, I look back on that. I thought it was more like six months ago. Shows how long these six weeks have been. Sold it at 98. I see it at 88 today. I totally lost track of it. When you sell something, you're kind of out of sight, out of mind. But everything Joe just said is right. You got rising costs here in the U.S. China is challenged. Um, this is not the growth stock that it was. This is a mature company. And Howard Schultz is incredible. But remember, he started the company and grew it. Does he have the same uh, capability to take it at this mature level and nurture it to a new, uh, a new phase of growth? I'm just not sure. Pete, you're taking the other side, right? Yeah, I'll take the other side of that. As a matter of fact, this thing gets anywhere close to 80. I actually was looking at the stock. I did not buy it, Scott. I'm kind of kicking myself. This is one of the names that I actually was very excited about. Here's why. We know eventually China is going to be open again. At some point, it will be open again. That has been the driver. That will be the driver. And of course, as we've been opening up more and more, yeah, there's challenges out there. There's going to be supply. There's going to be a lot going on in terms of the pay for, for labor and all the rest of it. But this is still a company that can still grow. It can grow here in the U.S. It can particularly get back to what it was doing in China. And oh, by the way, when it was 116 and everybody loved it, it was trading at about a 33 P.E. Suddenly everybody hates the stock at 85. That's where we're looking at closer to a 20 P.E. So I love the idea. If we get pullback, I have calls in there right now. I'm, I'm maybe going to trim those up or get those out of my uh, portfolio. But if this thing does pull back, Scott, I am definitely looking this as one of my stocks that I want to own. I'll start selling calls against it because I really do believe in the company and the command they have over all the others that are in the competition. You let us know when you do something. I know you will, like you always do. Yes, sir. Pete Nigerian. All right, yeah. coming up, a double upgrade for a semi-stock pushing its shares higher today. No surprise there. We're going to debate it, though, in our call of the day when we come back after this quick break. About 75 minutes to go before the Fed makes eh, arguably its most telegraphed decision on interest rates ever. But nonetheless, one of its most important, Tyler Matheson, is in D.C. setting up for our special show. Look forward to that, Ty. Yes, Scott, thank you very much. It is a day of high drama and beauty in our mutual hometown here of Washington, D.C. As we get ready to kick off at one o'clock one uh, with Kelly Evans, two hours of special coverage of the Fed's decision on interest rates. It is not only, as you said, a well-telegraphed uh, decision to in all likelihood raise interest rates by a quarter point, a raise that will be the first since 2018, but this will be, is, the first time that the board governors of the Federal Reserve's Open Market Committee have actually met in person since before the pandemic. We've got a big show led off by Senator Elizabeth Warren, who is one of the very few Democrats who opposes the renomination of Fed Chair Jay Powell. We'll ask her why. We'll also hear from David Wessel, uh, David Kelly, and a host of other Fed experts over our special coverage that begins at the top of the hour, two hours on the exchange and power lunch. Scott. If Senator Warren thought that Jay Powell was a dangerous man a few months ago, I wonder what she thinks today. And I know we will find out. I can't wait for the special show, Ty. Thank you. 
Thanks, Scott. All right, that's Tyler Matheson there. Micron shares moving higher today on the back of a double upgrade. That's rare from Bernstein. The firm also hiking the price target to 94 bucks. It's our call of the day. Joe, you own it. Steve Weiss called into overtime yesterday and said that he bought it as well. Yeah, I think overall the semi-industry probably has the highest sensitivity and correlation to the upside surprise uh, that you discussed earlier in the show, Scott. It really is about mobility and moving the economy forward. Um, it's, it's talking in this note uh, in which you cite a, a very surprising double upgrade and significant price target about an improving DRAM environment and improving inventories overall. So um, the Joe T ETF has significant exposure to semis. It's our third leading industry. We own nine names of which Micron is one of them, as well as NVIDIA, Qualcomm and others. And I think for investors looking for uh, an upside capture potential, the semis are the right place to be. Uh, they've certainly experienced a significant decline already this year. How about this call, Amy? Um, I, it's a bold call, certainly, but I think it's early. You tend to want to buy these stocks, these very cyclical semis, when um, er, when valuations are high, because that means earnings are low, and that's certainly earnings expectations are low, and that's certainly not the case. Um, I think we are going into a slowdown. I think the Fed has to cause that. We talked about that earlier, and that's typically not such a great setup for for stocks like Micron. Um, it is cheap, and I do think the semis are less cyclical than they used to be, but this is going to get caught up in, in a slowdown, my guess. All right. Big day, though. Uh, better than 7% on that double upgrade. Up next, Pete has unusual activity trades. He'll reveal it again a little more than an hour until the Fed decision. Dow's up 289, 291-ish. NASDAQ's up better than 2%. 217 is the yield on the 10-year. We're back right after this. Let's do it, Pete. Unusual activity. What do you have for us today? All right. I'm going to start off with energy. I know that's surprising, but as we've had this huge drop to the downside, Scott, with 96, 97 for oil, BP stands out. It's trading right about where it is right now. Earlier today, we had a buyer of 5,500 of the April 29th expiring. So in other words, going all the way out, not just March, going all the way through April for these 30 strike calls. That definitely stood out for me. I like that one. I did add that. I already had some BP calls as well. Secondly, I've got a second one, which was take two. Now, this one just hit just a little while ago, they bought 3,000 of the June 170 calls. They paid about $5, a fairly expensive trade. They also sold the downside put. All that means is they're buying these calls. They're willing to finance it by selling these downside puts. They're willing actually to own the stock under 100, but that's what they're doing here. Paid about $5 for those calls. I'm in both these trades right now. I like what I'm seeing right now in terms of a lot of different option activity that's exploding on our systems as we speak. Got it. Thank you. Pete Nigerian. final trades Thanks. after this break. Yep. Today, 4 o'clock Eastern, do not miss. Closing bell overtime, double lines. Jeffrey Gunlock joining me right after the Fed decision and Jay Powell's news conference. That's 4 o'clock Eastern today. The hitters keep coming tomorrow. On halftime, BlackRock's Rick Reeder is with us to react, to give you his actionable advice on what to do in the markets post-Fed. All right, before we get final trades, Jimmy, I have a question for you. Katie Gonzalez is a viewer of ours, and she tweeted, Scott Wabner, I would love to hear Jim Labenthal's thoughts on buying the dip in Boeing, like Baird noted today. And I should note that Baird noted 
uh, it added Boeing to its fresh picks list today. What do you think? Yeah, I do think you're supposed to own Boeing. I own a lot of it or else I'd be buying more here. So if you don't own a lot of it, I would say buy. Here's why. They're getting a lot of orders. Now, right now, it's for the 737 MAX and some of the new 777 freighters. The overhang on the stock is 787 deliveries. Why the FAA is dragging its feet when we're in an economic war with an access of evil is beyond me. Uh, Really, the FAA needs to let Boeing deliver these planes. They're already flying, so they're airworthy. All right. But that's the only overhang. Okay, I like a little impromptu ask halftime. What's your final trade, Jim? Well, go fitting, right? Alaska Airlines, because as I said yesterday, all the airlines pre-announced positively. They are seeing tremendous demand, and they're raising prices to take care of fuel costs. Okay, thank you. Amy Raskin. ABB, a little bit of a controversial one, a European industrial play, but um, global capital spending is going to pick up. Okay. Joe T. Staying long, my agriculture names, both Deer and ADM, Archer Daniels, Midland. Mm. All right, Pete Nigerian. I'm going to give you K-Web. I just saw a monster buyer in there. I'm now in there as well. All right, one hour until our Fed special, Tyler Matheson, you saw is going to be down in D.C. for that. You're going to hear from Steve Leisman. The stock market's having another big day. There it is right now. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.